0: Uh, Let's pray. Our Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us your Word, the Bible. We pray that as we think through uh, bits of the Bible today that uh, teach about what Jesus achieved on the cross and, and how we can respond to it, that you give us wisdom to understand your Word rightly so that we can understand better what Jesus has done for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now there are some people who think, they think that everyone will go to heaven. There's an author, R.C. Sproul, and he talks about a time when he was uh, speaking to his five-year-old son, and he was asking, asking him the two questions from Evangelism Explosion that I often use with you. He asked first, son, this is to his five-year-old son, son, when you die, are you sure that you'll go to heaven? And his son said, yeah, dad, I am. And he said, good, good. Okay, well, son, imagine you've died, and you're standing before God, and he says to you, Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And his five-year-old son said, Because I'm dead. (laughs) So, Arceus Bril's five-year-old son believed what many people believe. He believed that everyone who dies goes to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, sadly, that some people will not go to heaven. On your outline there, you can see the first verse from the Bible, way up in the top left there. Words from John 3:36: Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Not everyone will be saved. Now, the cross of Jesus doesn't save everyone. The atonement that is won by jesus is limited in that sense not everyone will end up atoned by jesus not everyone will end up saved and forgiven and atoned at one with god now all bible-believing christians believe this all bible-believing christians agree that atonement is limited in the sense that not everyone will be saved and in that sense this term limited atonement is a bit of a misleading term because that's not quite what it's saying Um, All Bible-believing Christians believe that atonement is limited. But the thing is, Christians do disagree on why not everyone is saved. That's the issue here. That's the issue. Where is the limitation to be found? Why is not everyone saved by the cross of Jesus? That's what this doctrine of limited atonement is about. It answers the question, why the cross only saves those who trust in Jesus? Where it is that the limitation is that stops some people being saved. All right, so 1610, uh, some people in Holland wrote the, uh, the document called the Remonstrance, the, the protest, the whinge, okay, the Remonstrance. And they argued some correct things from the Bible. They argued, rightly, from the Bible, that God wants everyone to be saved. And you outline there from 1 Timothy, God our Saviour wants all men to be saved. God loves the world. John 3.16, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, Ezekiel, 2 Peter. God wants everyone to turn to him and live. That's why he gave Jesus to die in one sense. There's one truth. Second truth that the remonstrators pointed out is that the death of Jesus has a universal impact. Everyone, everything is impacted on by the death of Jesus. At the last day... Every knee will bow before King Jesus because of his death and resurrection. Not just those who believe, every knee will bow. Or uh, have a look at that, that next verse there where the Bible talks about God reconciling all things to himself. On your outline there, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The cross has a universal impact. And thirdly, the remonstrators pointed out, rightly, that the death of Jesus is able to save anyone. There is no such thing as a person who puts their trust in Jesus and then is not saved. No such thing. Jesus' death is enough to save anyone whoever trusts in Jesus will be saved. Acts 2.21, the next verse there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the remonstrators saw some true things from the Bible. They saw that God wants everyone to be saved. They saw that the death of Jesus has a universal impact. And they saw that any, anyone, everyone who trusts in Jesus will be saved. But they also saw that not everyone is saved. And so they try to think, well, how is that? Why is that? Where is where's the limitation? What stops everyone from being saved? And so they came up with a theory. And the theory goes like this. See, uh, see if you agree with it. Here's their theory. People have rebelled against God. We've sinned. God will not accept sinners into his kingdom. It's like there's an obstacle keeping us out of heaven, our sin. But God loves the world. And so what God did, he gave Jesus to die for the sin of the world. Now that Jesus has died for sin, the obstacle is removed. It is possible for anyone to enter heaven. But not everyone will enter heaven. And why? Answer, because they don't exercise faith. They won't put their faith in Jesus. They make a free choice to refuse God's offer of salvation. Do you understand the theory? This theory of the people who wrote the remonstrance, the death of Jesus, it opens up the possibility of salvation for everyone. But then we have to add our faith to it to be saved. My, uh, my one-year-old daughter, Bianca, she's at the point where she is asserting her independence uh, now she refuses to go anywhere in the pram. She refuses to let me carry her anywhere. She insists she has to walk everywhere. I tell you what, it makes getting in that front door of our house a real pain in the neck. I mean, it used to be so simple. I'd just carry her in the front door or I'd wheel her in in the pram. But, but now she has this game. We get home with her walking, insisting on walking the whole way. I, I let go of her hand to open the front door and she runs away. I coax. Come on, Bianca, inside now. I threaten. Bianca, I'll shut the door and you'll be left outside. Uh, it's fun for her, but uh, frustrating for me, especially with heavy bags of shopping. Well, according to the remonstrators, um, God is a bit like me with Bianca at the front door. He's opened up the gates of heaven, everyone is invited in, but they have to walk in themselves. Now, this view of the remonstrance, it's become a very common view. In fact, I would say it is by far the majority view among Christians. Have you ever heard a preacher say something like this? I just heard this exact sermon uh, a couple of days ago. God loves you. Jesus died for you. God's done his part. Now you need to do your part. You need to accept Jesus into your life. God, he's knocking on the door of your heart, but he won't break the door down. God, he is knocking on the door of your heart, but the doorknob is only on the inside. You need to open the door of your heart to God. You've heard that before, haven't you? It's pretty standard evangelistic preaching. It's certainly a pretty standard thing for Christians to believe. In fact, I would bet... I don't bet. I, I would... I don't wager either. I'm sure, okay, I'm, I'm quite sure, all right, that there are lots of people sitting here today who think, yeah, well, that all sounds right to me. Everything you've said sounds perfectly correct. I, I'll tell you why else I know that some people believe this. It's because I sometimes ask people those questions that R.C. Sproul asked his five-year-old son. I say to people, Do you, are you confident that you'll go to heaven when you die? Praise God, people say, yes, I am. And then I say, well, well, why should God let you into heaven? What would you say? If you were standing before him at the last day and they say, well, I would say to God, I've believed in you. I've trusted in Jesus. Again, people are nodding. They're going, well, that sounds right. It does sound right, doesn't it? It sounds biblical. The idea that Jesus died to save everyone, excuse me, but only those who have faith get saved. Well, in 1618 to 1619, the Council of Dort said that this theory is wrong. They said this theory, it misunderstands humanity. They said it underestimates what Jesus has done. And they said it detracts from the glory of God. Now, The Council of Dort pointed out a whole heap of very serious problems with this theory about why only some people are saved. Today I want to show you six of these problems, six problems that I reckon we in the modern church really need to get our heads around because we've got a wrong view of salvation. We, we really need to understand this because these are real and serious problems with what the majority of Christians think about salvation. Okay, six problems. The first two problems. The first two problems are about humanity. The first problem is this. The remonstrance view of salvation ignores total depravity. Remember total depravity from a couple of weeks ago? See, the thing is, according to the Bible, The thing about people without Jesus is this. They can't put their faith in Jesus. They cannot do it. As Jesus himself puts it in that next verse there, can you see it there? We're now about halfway down that left-hand side under total depravity. No one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Or as Paul puts it, this great verse for seeker services, there is no one who seeks God. Sometimes uh, Bianca's like this at the front door. She doesn't want to come in. If I don't pick her up and carry her in, I'll be standing there the whole day. If God has only created the potential for salvation, if he's left it up to us to put our trust in him, well, we're in real trouble because the Bible says that of ourselves, we can't put our trust in Jesus. Second problem. The second problem is similar. The Bible, when it talks about faith, it doesn't talk about it as being this thing that humans do. It, it talks about faith as being a gift from God. It's not something humans come up with themselves. It's a gift from God. The next verse there under uh, faith as a gift from God. Have a look at this carefully from Philippians 1.29. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to believe on him. Did you get that one? Or the next one from Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this, that's that's this whole process, this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Faith is not a human choice that we exercise to access a potential salvation. Faith is a gift from God. Let me me use the words of Jim Packer. I'll use his words a few times in this sermon. He's written a very helpful article on this topic. Uh, This is the way Jim Packer puts it. He says faith is not man's own contribution to salvation it is part of God's gift of salvation okay so do you understand the first two problems they're problems with humanity with the idea that we can add our faith to a potential salvation according to the Bible it's impossible impossible and the third and fourth problems they're about what Jesus has done they're problems with the idea that Jesus has only won a potential salvation now, third problem is this. Jesus, when he talked to his disciples, when he talked to people, he had a real confidence that particular people would be saved by his death. You never see Jesus saying to his disciples, yeah, fellas, I'm going to die and hopefully some people will put their trust in me and be saved. It's just not the way Jesus speaks. Jesus believed that God had given him people. People who would certainly be saved by his death. People who would definitely be saved by his death. People who would actually be saved by his death. That that was part of the the joy that was set before Jesus that enabled him to endure the cross. Not that hopefully some people might trust him, but that he actually had some people who would be saved. Have a look at what he says in the next verses. There under Jesus' confidence, down the bottom of the left-hand side. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. See what he's saying? He knows exactly who he's going to save. He will save those given to him by the Father. There's no sense of him winning a potential salvation that, that people might someday somewhere believe. He knows exactly who he's going to save. The fourth problem, fourth problem is quite similar. The Bible, the Bible just doesn't picture Jesus as potentially saving people. Whenever it's spoken about, it's spoken about as if people are actually saved by what Jesus has done. It's not like me opening the door and hoping that Bianca will come in. It's more like me picking up Bianca by the scruff of the neck and bringing her in. All right. Look at the next verse from Romans. We're now up on the top of the right hand side we have now been justified by his blood notice we've not been potentially justified provided we add our faith to it notice here it's not even uh, the, the expression we have been justified by faith although that's a biblical expression no no we are justified here by the blood of Jesus the death of Jesus itself justifies us makes us right with God well look at the next verses and, and just get the vibe here get kind of Marbo the constitution the vibe this, this is not a potential rescue we're talking about here if you look at these verses you'll see he's actually rescued us actually redeemed us actually purified us actually forgiven us it's not potential language here look at these next verses In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. The Father has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Friends, we need to get this clear. This is is the heart of the issue. This is a vital point. Jesus' death actually saves us. It doesn't potentially save us. As the Apostle Paul put put it in the next verse, Christ Jesus, this is a trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not to potentially save sinners, to save sinners. Let me quote Jim Packer again. Christ did not win a hypothetical salvation for hypothetical believers, a mere possibility of salvation for any who might possibly believe, but a real salvation for his own chosen people. The cross secured the full salvation of all for whom Christ died. Friends, if I stand before God and he says to me, why should I let you into heaven? I'm not going to be raving on about how I've added my faith to a potential salvation made possible by Jesus. I'm not going to be boasting about, about how I've trusted in him. If God asks me, why, why can I come into heaven, I will say, well, I'll say what John Wesley said, because Jesus died and rose for me. That's all there is to say, because Jesus died for me. Full stop. Full stop. Do you, do you see the, the, the point of problems three and four? The remonstrance theory of salvation it actually diminishes the effect of what jesus did on the cross it says he doesn't actually save anybody he just opens the possibility of salvation that's not true it's not true in the bible jesus saves people but here's the thing just just think about this logically for a second jesus death actually saves people that means If Jesus died for everyone, then everyone is saved, doesn't it? If Jesus' death actually saves people and he died for everyone, then everyone is saved. But the Bible is clear that everyone is not saved. So here's the logical conclusion. There must be some sense in which Jesus didn't die for everyone. All right, we'll come back to it. Fifth and sixth problems. Problems. And sixth, uh, they relate to the the glory of God. The Council of Dort they said that the remonstrance theory about salvation it diminishes the glory of God. So the fifth problem, the fifth problem is this: the remonstrance theory it doesn't do justice to the biblical picture of God's sovereignty. The Bible it just doesn't picture God as kind of wringing his hands impotently, hoping that some people will put their trust in Jesus. This is picture. That picture of Revelation, in Revelation of God knocking on the door, it has got nothing to do with God knocking on the door of people's hearts, hoping that they'll accept him. That picture is a picture of God about to break down the door of a slack church. Right? The biblical picture is that God is in complete control of all things. Have a look at this example from Ephesians. Just, can you get any more sovereign than this? Have a look at this. In him, that's in Christ, we were also chosen having been predestined, listen to this, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He wants it to happen, it happens. God is not sitting anxiously in heaven hoping that some people will take pity on him and believe in Jesus. God is sovereignly working out everything in accordance with the purpose of his will. This this impotent, pathetic God of those evangelists who beg you to to, to kind of take pity on him, there's no such God. The true God is in control. He knows who he wants to save and he will sovereignly save them. The final problem, the final problem that the Council of Dort had with the Ramanstras theory was that it leaves room for human boasting. The Apostle Paul says, uh, can you see it there? We're now under uh, human boasting. The Apostle Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the thing is, if God has only potentially saved us, if all he's really done is made it possible for us to believe and so get salvation for ourselves, well, well, then we can boast. We are the people who've trusted. We're the people who've believed. We're the people who've gained salvation. That's a quote Jim Packer. This view, it divides the praise... Between God, who so to speak, built the machinery of salvation, and man who by believing it, who by believing, operated it. So that's dividing the praise. In the Bible, God gets all the glory for salvation. In heaven, we're not going to be partly praising God for making it possible for us to be saved, and partly praising ourselves for putting our trust in Him. Jesus alone saves us. By grace, we have been saved. So that no one can boast. Okay. Can you see the problems with the remonstrance theory of salvation? Can you see the problems with this theory of salvation that most people believe today? That they're serious problems, aren't they? It's not, uh, I mean, you know, it's not going to take anybody to hell. I, I thought it was a good sermon in one sense a couple of days ago. At least he was preaching Jesus and telling people to trust in him. But, but, but these are serious problems, aren't they? The the remonstrance people, they can't be right. It cannot be the case that Jesus died to potentially save everyone, but now we have to add our our faith to the equation. It ignores total depravity. It ignores that faith is a gift. It, It ignores that Jesus actually saves people. It ignores the fact that God has given people to Jesus. It ignores the sovereignty of God. It leaves room for human boasting. And so the Council of Dort said that the limitation in atonement has got to be found in some other place. So, finally, after all that introduction, we get to the sermon. Why isn't everyone saved by the death of Jesus? Why isn't everyone saved by the death of Jesus? The Council of Dort's answer, and the answer of the doctrine of limited atonement, is this. Because that was God's intention. When God gave Jesus to die... He wasn't trying to save everyone. When God gave Jesus to die, he knew exactly who he wanted to save and by the death of Jesus, he saves them. The death of Jesus was only intended by God to save the elect. And there are a number of verses in the Bible which, which kind of point in this direction. They're not uh, they're not down arguments, but they point in this direction. Verses that talk about Jesus dying, not for everyone, but for his people. Let me just show you a few. Matthew 21. Can you see that one there? You're to give him the name Jesus. Notice who who Jesus is dying for here. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Or John 10, the next one. Jesus dying for his sheep here. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep Well, the next one's Ephesians, talking about Jesus dying for the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See the point? Jesus is not trying to save everyone by his death. He's saving his people. Okay. Now you've been listening for a while, it's been a while since there's been an illustration, I haven't got one for you, I just want you to wake up again because at this point I've got uh, a couple of uh, tough things to think about, some stuff that's going to require your thinking caps on again. I want to actually look at those objections that the remonstrators raised because they're true and see whether they undermine the doctrine of limited atonement. What about those true things from the Bible that the remonstrator saw? What, what about the fact that God wants everyone to be saved? What about the fact of the universal impact of the cross? What about the fact that anyone who puts their trust in Jesus will, will be saved? Don't these facts undermine the doctrine of limited atonement? Okay, as I say, it's going to require some thinking, but let, let's look at them one by one. First, what about the biblical idea that God wants everyone to be saved? That is a true biblical idea. And yet still it doesn't undermine the doctrine of limited atonement. And here's why it doesn't undermine the doctrine of limited atonement. Listen carefully to this. This is important. It doesn't undermine the doctrine of limited atonement because there is a distinction between God's desire and God's plan. Now Warren introduced you to this idea last week. God God desires that all people be saved but his plan is only to save the elect. This may sound like a strange distinction or maybe a a subtle distinction but if you think about it, it's something that is very common in our experience. What what we desire is not necessarily what we plan. I desire to never discipline my children. My plan is that I will, I'm sure it'll start today. My desire is to eat a block of chocolate each day. My plan is just to try to limit myself to half a block each day. (laughs) We often have desires that don't end up being our plans. Now that is true also of God. If you think about it, it is true even with the death of Jesus itself. Ask yourself this question for a moment. Ask yourself this question. Did God want Jesus to die? Did God desire the death of his own innocent son at the hands of sinful men? Did God want him to be murdered innocently? Answer... Surely no, God didn't want Jesus to die and yet that was his plan. In a similar way, God doesn't desire that any should perish but for some reason his plan is only to save his elect through the death of Jesus. That's the first objection. Second one, the biblical fact of the universal impact of the cross. The idea that the whole universe is reconciled to God That is true as well it's there in the bible god does reconcile the whole universe to himself through jesus in other words peace will be made through the whole universe every knee will bow to king jesus but the thing is this in some cases peace will come through a willing surrender to jesus Uh, surrender by people saved by his blood but in other cases peace will come through defeat by jesus Every knee will bow to Jesus because of his death and resurrection, but not every knee will enjoy the experience. The the impact of Jesus' death is unlimited. There's no one who will be untouched by the death of Jesus, but it doesn't undermine the fact that God's intention is only to save certain people. Some people will be saved by the death of Jesus. Other people, well, the impact of the death of Jesus will be to leave them without excuse, to leave them defeated and destroyed. Jesus did die for everyone. It is fair to say to a person, some reform Reform people won't say this, but I think it's fair to say to a person, Jesus died for you. The thing is, it's not much comfort. It's like saying to someone, the New South Wales police force is there for you. That's great news if you're a law-abiding citizen. Not such good news if you're in the process of robbing a bank. Jesus did die for everyone, but he only died to save his elect. Well, finally, what of the biblical idea that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus will be saved? Again, it's true. It's in the Bible. We believe it, all right? Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus will be saved. But the reality is only the elect will put their faith in Jesus. Faith is not something we come up with ourselves. It's not something that we add to the salvation won by Jesus. It's part of the gift of salvation which Jesus won. As the Bible says, it has been granted to us on behalf of Christ to believe. Okay. You can see the issue here with this doctrine of limited atonement. Well done. Nearly everyone's still listening. Um, There is a limit to the atonement won by the death of Jesus. The limit is that not everyone is saved. Okay, we all agree on that. But the question is, why? The remonstrator said it's in the capacity of the death of Jesus to save. It doesn't actually save anyone. It opens the way for people to be saved if they put their trust in Jesus. The Council of Dort said no. That's not where the limit is. If people are not saved, then it was not God's intention to save them through Jesus' death. Jesus' death, it has universal implications. It's enough to save anyone, but it's only intended by God to save his people That's why only his people are saved. Uh, I realise it's been complicated. I realise it's been long. But but that's the doctrine of limited atonement. I hope you can see that it's a true doctrine. I hope you can see that perhaps some of the stuff you were thinking about salvation is not not quite right. The idea that Jesus died to save everyone, it ends up meaning that Jesus died to save no one. Jesus is not there trying to coax us in the door. We we would never come. Uh, No, by his death... Jesus, he picks us up by the scruff of the neck and he brings us into heaven. Irresistible grace. We'll talk about it next week. At that last day, when we stand before God, we're not going to be, th- we're not going to be saying thanks, Jesus, for potentially saving me and, 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 and thanks me for saving myself by faith. No, no, no. We're just going to be saying thank you, Jesus. Thank you for actually saving me. Thank you for sovereignly saving me. Thank you for doing all that it took to get a totally depraved sinner like me into this place in glory. Thank you. All glory to you alone. Well, let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has died to save us, to save his people. We thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you that Jesus has done everything needed to bring us into heaven. And we say all glory to you alone, Lord Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain who purchased for himself a people for God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.